awesome, awesome worship. Just love to sing songs to our Lord and Savior. Please find your way. Romans chapter 13. We're in, we're in that area somewhere. Surprised many of you came back after the sermon on the government. And now you know I'm going to talk about taxes today. Man, I love you guys. We talked about last week, submit, submit, not a very popular word, not an action that sinful man likes to do. But as we saw last week, the Bible calls mankind to submit in many areas of our lives. Submission is good. Submission keeps order. We submit to Christ. We submit to our bosses. We submit to one another. We submit to the civil authorities. Children, submit to your parents. Amen? Amen. Children? Children, amen? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Submitting is not a popular thing to do because of our pride and because of our selfish hearts. We do not like to submit. The world teaches us not to submit. What does the world say? Look out for number one. That's right. Because no one else will. But that. But the word says different. The word commands us to submit, not only for the good of society, but it is how believers glorify God. This whole section of scripture here in Romans is really about submitting and putting others first. Now, last week we looked at submitting to the government. What seemed like a simple text was a lot more complex than it appeared on the surface, which is the way that all of God's words are, correct? God's word is always challenging. God wants us to grow. He desires for his children to get off the milk and start eating the meat. Amen. All right. We're not to be comfortable in our walk. We, we will never reach a point where we can say, well, I have arrived. I'm there. I, I will ride this thing out till, till I get to heaven, till God calls me home. Smooth sailing from here on out. No. No, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. You know, once you get saved, once you've received that grace and mercy that God is offering, that is when your life really begins. That's when the struggle really begins. That's when the tension in your life really begins. But let me be a bearer of good news. It's not easy. Is that good news? It's not easy. It's a grind. You know, when when we when we we went through this time in America, I want to talk about this. We went through a time in America where people would just give out a track and have someone say a prayer, and then they'd walk off, they'd send them off and say, Hey, you're good to go. And then that one who said the prayer would just go on the way they were living without any change. And you know, they went on with life with a false sense of security there. Because they never grew from there. It was just says, hey, here, you've done that. Now you're good to go. I forgot what pastor said this, but he said, he said, no change, no Jesus. And he said this because the scriptures calls, calls us to change. The scripture calls us to change. Put off the old and put on the new. Transform the way we think. Transform the way we act. And this happens because once the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, we have a completely different outlook on life. And we look at the world through new lenses. It is through the Holy Spirit and through the word that we look at the government. 
It is in that in a way that is different than the world sees it. Last week, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2 to see how we respond to the government. What did he say? He said, first of all, I urge that, su that supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He's saying pray. Pray for all people. Pray for the kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We saw that Titus in chapter three said, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. So as we live out our faith, we see that we are commanded to submit. We are commanded to pray. We are commanded to do good works and commanded to live out a peaceful life. These are the marks of the children of God, the scriptures say. This is how we, we live out our faith. And I have some verses to help us, to point us, to show us that living out our faith is, a, is an action, just like the word love is an action. So as we walk through some of these verses, the first one I want to start with is Ephesians 2.10. One we should all be familiar with. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created in Christ for a purpose. We were created for good works. As a child of God, we are commanded to do good works. That's that change that happens. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So we are created for good works. We are to not grow weary of doing good and we're to never give up doing good. Psalm 37, three says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So we are created for good works. We do not grow weary of doing good because we have put our trust in the Lord and we never, ever give up. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are created for good works. We do not grow weary of doing good. We trust in the Lord. We never give up. We are not ashamed. And when people see our good works, God is glorified. First Peter 3, 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We're created for good works. We do not grow weary of doing good. We trust in the Lord, never giving up. We are not ashamed. And when people see our good works, God is glorified. All that stuff is really good. And that's great. But right here we see that we are not rewarded for our good works. Sometimes we're not rewarded for those good works. We may suffer for doing good. We have this thought in our head, which is not bad, though. But we think if we do good, we will get rewarded for what we have done. You hear say all the time, hey, you'll get rewarded for your good hard works. And we think that our good works will be appreciated and 
and it will one day. We know that. But it does not work that way all the time while we are here on this earth. We have a saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Absolutely. Yeah, and that happens because it, we, we move into where we see, we see a need, you know, and a lot of times we get drawn, drawn into a sad or overwhelming situation. And a lot of times the help is not appreciated and we end up being taken advantage of while we're just trying to do good. But know this, if this happens, we do not give up doing good. Why? Because if we suffer for doing good, what does the scripture say? God will still be glorified. That's our goal is to glorify God, right? We live in a fallen world and sometimes the response to doing good is evil. And God knows that. And so through his word, he tells us what we should do, how we should respond. First Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. It does not matter how we were treated. We respond with good. We respond with good works. First Timothy 6.18 tells us to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We just, we just keep pouring out the good works. We, we are generous. We share what we have. And by doing so, we show the love of God to all. So we are created for good works. We do not grow weary of doing good. We trust in the Lord. We never give up. We are not ashamed. And when people see our good works, God is glorified. When we are mistreated, we respond with good works. We keep pouring out good works time after time and time again. And listen, it's not easy to do. It is a grind. It is a grind to continue to do good. Do it, doing good. Listen, a lot of times will cause us to question God and ourselves. We say, does it really matter what I do? Does it really matter? All this good that I'm trying to do, is it really making a difference? This is hard to keep doing and doing and doing. Maybe we ask, you know, where is my reward? I do all this for others and I get nothing in return. Let me be an encourager. We all know our reward is not here. Our reward is in a new heaven and a new earth. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. You know, we don't, don't get caught up in these earthly rewards. Don't do that. Submit to God and do what he has called us to do. And that's to glorify him. And we do it by doing the good works again and again and again, the ones he has prepared for us. And because he has prepared them for us, we can do these good works over and over and over again and not grow weary. And we do them until he returns or calls us home. Amen. Right. Listen, God knows our struggle. He knows. But this is something he's called us to do and expects us to do. And we could do it because he is with us. God knows it's a grind for us. That's why he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, as you, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. This same command he just told us in Galatians 6.9. 
Do not grow weary. Continue to do good. He's encouraging us. Don't give up. He told us twice. One time should be enough. He's telling us twice. That means we can do it. We can do it. We keep our eyes on Jesus to do it. We look to Jesus for power and strength to carry on. That's how we don't grow weary. We always look to and at Jesus. Look at Jesus in Acts 10, 18. No, 10, 38. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about what? Doing good and healing all, the, all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now, I know Jesus is God, right? You know, but, but think about all the forces that were against him, and yet he kept on doing good. Even up to when he was hanging on the cross, seconds away from death, and what does Jesus say? Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. A statement that not only showed the love of God, but a statement that challenges each and every one of us in our daily walk as followers of Jesus Christ. God is with us. God has anointed us with the Holy Spirit, and we are to be just like Christ going about doing good. We are to seek to do good. Galatians 6.10 says, so then when we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith, especially in the body of Christ, especially here. We see all this division. That shouldn't be. We should be seeking how we can serve others within the body. If there's any place on this earth that our light should be shining, it should if there's any place on the earth that our work should be done, our good work should be done, it should be done in the church body. If there's a need, we fill it. If there's a hand that needs to be held, we hold it. If there's an ear needed, we listen, we bless, we pray, we love one another because we all have benefited from the love of God. So we are to pass that love on to one another, especially within the body of Christ. Put it into practice here and then take it out into the world. Here, and I'm gonna help us do that, all right? Here's a good way for us to keep good works going, to keep them on the forefront of our mind. When we go over to the other building after service, we will sit down and we'll have our fellowship meal, right? Now I'm sure Somebody brought a salad. A salad is made up of what? Lettuce. Lettuce. So as you eat your lettuce, I want you to think about Hebrews 10, 24. Let us, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. Go with me. From now on, when we eat lettuce, we will be reminded to keep the good deeds going. Let us, let us do good works. Now, I don't want y'all to quit eating your salad because every time you do, you're going to see me preaching at you. I don't want you to do that. Work through it. Work through it. Don't give up eating salad. Think about doing good. Praise God as you do and eat your salad, okay? 
Y'all better remember that one. <laughs> one more verse on doing good that, that brings all this together. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. Listen, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We are created for good works. We do not grow weary of doing good. We trust in the Lord. We never give up. We are not ashamed. When we see, when the world sees our good works, God is glorified. When we are mistreated, we respond with good works. We keep on pouring out the good works. We do not grow weary. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We look for opportunities to do good, especially within the church body. And when we eat salad, we are reminded to do good works. And Hebrews 13 brings it all together when he says, man, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It all comes together there. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That takes us right back to chapter 12 that Pastor Ryan preached on. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's where it begins right there. We are living sacrifices. That is how we worship God. And then the word tells us or shows us how a living sacrifice is to live and worship in this world. We do good. We share. We put others first. We do not repay evil with evil. We love our enemies. We don't think we're better than other people. We live peaceably. We do not avenge ourselves. We submit to the government. We give it all to God and we trust in God. And when we do, we are able to do good works and those sacrifices are pleasing to God. It all becomes an act of worship. So it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter how we, how people treat us. It doesn't matter how bad the government is. We submit and do good all for the glory of God. Amen. Everybody good with, with good doing good. Good. So chapter 13, now we talked about the government and we went to, you know, we talked about submitting to them, about the institution, how it is of God. And then uh, he says in verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. We would have no fear of the one who is in authority. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So the word says that we are to submit. We understand that government is ordained by God. The government is set in place by God for the good of the people. And we are not to uh, resist. But verse 5 says, therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience, for the sake of conscience. I, wanna, I want to bring attention to the word conscience for a minute. We've talked about consciences before. Conscience is a part of our psyche. That, that is our mind. God created it, and it's a gift 
given to us from God. And what our conscience does is it gives us the ability to have self-awareness and rational thinking. Our conscience gives us the ability to recall or to remember what we have accepted as right or wrong. That's what our conscience does. Conscience can be described as a moral sense of right and wrong. Now, what makes a good conscience? Think about that. You may have seen someone who does something that is just straight up wrong to someone else, right? Or, or maybe they have a, a lifestyle that is completely immoral. And it, it doesn't bother them. None of them, it doesn't bother them at all. And, and you will say, or someone will say, I don't see how they can do that and it not bother them at all. They must not have a conscience. Now they have a conscience, they do. But the problem is they have not educated their conscience. An individual has to educate their conscience. And we do it through prayer through the reading and the studying of God's word and by applying God's word as we walk this walk. And when you have an educated conscience, then you will be better equipped to live a life free of guilt. You will be able to say, I did all I could do. I did what God said I should do. So I have a clear conscience. Now watch this. The more we educate our conscience, the more we, good works we do, the more we will glorify God with our walk. You see, hiding God's word in our heart is the high octane fuel that runs our conscience. A clear conscience comes from knowing the word and doing good works. You see how all this ties together? All of it ties together. We have a friend who hates abortion as we all should. Now, she said, I don't have the ability to run for office or change the laws. She said, but what I can do is educate others about abortion. I could support the right leaders to get them in the right offices. She said, I could do that. But guess what? Her conscience kept bothering her, kept bothering her. So here's what she did. She went a step further. She said, I can do good works. And she volunteered at the pregnancy crisis center. And she began to love on the girls who needed to feel the love of God. She was doing exactly what God said to do in Romans 13. She submitted, yes, but she also did what all those other verses I just read about doing good. And through her obedience, God is glorified. And guess what? She has a clear conscience. And because she has a properly educated conscience, she was able to glorify God through it all. Amen. Yeah. Acts 24, 15 says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. So how do we know that we have a properly educated conscience? We don't do what is wrong and we do good works. All right. But if we do something wrong, what happens is 
is we can't live with ourselves until we make it right. How many had to go to a brother and sister in Christ and go, you know what, man? I, I just got to make this right. Well, praise the Lord. Your conscience is working. You have an educated conscience, and we go and make this right. That's how the conscience works. One more thing before we move on. Having a clear conscience is not the same thing as justifying our actions. Okay? Y'all follow me here? It's like this. Say there's an area in our life where God tells us to submit, and we say to ourselves, I'm not going to submit because that person is not a good leader, or I'm not going to submit to my boss because my boss is not a good boss, or whatever area, all right? We bring up excuses not to submit. We justify our sin by saying, if they are a good leader, I would submit. If my boss was a good boss, I would submit. But since they're not, I'm not going to, even though God tells me to. As we saw last week, God told us to submit to the government. Talked about submission. It was an unqualified statement, meaning we do not get to choose which governments we submit to. The point I am making is that we can't have a clear conscience by justifying our sin. We have to know the difference. Even going back to chapter 12, we can't have a clear conscience by repaying evil with evil. We can't have a clear conscience by giving to those people what they deserve. That can't be a clear conscience. But we can have a clear conscience when we submit to God, live out his truths by doing good works. And now that we have a clear conscience, we all got a good comprehension of a clear conscience. Let's move on and talk about taxes. <laughs> Chapter 13, verse 5. Therefore. One must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, right? Listen, he keeps rolling. For because of this, he's looking back. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom, whom taxes owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed again i believe pastor jared and pastor ryan got together and thought it'd be good for me to teach on taxes just like the government amen See, and it did but as we talk about taxes remember this is all one section as we go through the through the word what are we what are we going to do we're going to submit to god submit to government do good works and have a clear conscience. Paying taxes, let's get a little info on taxes. Paying taxes has been around for a long time. It didn't start in Britain. It didn't start there. Taxes have been around since the time of Joseph in the book of Genesis. You remember when Pharaoh had the dream? Had a dream about seven abundant, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, about the seven abundant crops followed by seven years of famine. What did Joseph do? He ordered that during the seven years of abundance, a fifth of the grain produced would be stored and kept in reserve so that the 
land may not perish from the famine. First form of taxes, way back then. Back when Nehemiah was around and they were building the wall, the, the people complained bitterly about the heavy taxation from Persia. So taxation without representation has been around for a long time. No one enjoys paying their taxes, whether it's used for good or bad. Okay. But, but it's what we do. It's what God commands us to do. As contributors, we do it because we are contributing to a civil society. Okay. We pay sales tax, property tax, gas tax, phone tax, income tax, usury tax, state tax, medical tax, social security tax, sin tax, excise tax, corporate tax, inheritance tax, and capital gains tax. Now, I just said all that to get you riled up. <laughs> I thought it worked. Listen, we're commanded to pay taxes. Yes, but also know this. We are also commanded to follow the laws of the land. That means that we are to take full advantage of all the deductions and other benefits that the law provides. That makes us smart people. Take advantage of the law, but don't break the law. Don't break the law. This statement about paying taxes is just like the statement about submitting to the government. It's unqualified, meaning it does not say pay taxes only to the governments that spend the money properly, that don't waste money, or only pay to the governments that, that fund the things that you agree with. It doesn't say that. It says pay taxes. Pay taxes. It says, therefore, one must be in subject, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Knowing what the tax system looked like back when Paul wrote this kind of helps us a little bit, maybe ease the pain here. But think about this. They paid taxes to a, to a system that was uh, where, where in that system, some of the emperors declared themselves to be gods and demanded worship from every person in that empire. And they still paid taxes there. And on top of that, the Jews and the Christians were paying taxes to a system that used the money to support pagan temples and other religious institutions throughout the empire. Nothing new under the sun, is it? So how do we view this pain when it comes to paying taxes? What do we do? Who do we look to for our example of how to live out our faith? Give me your best Sunday school answer right here. Jesus. There you go. Absolutely right. We look to see how Jesus dealt with the taxes, and he did. Something that the Romans did to keep control over many of the nations was that on top of their taxes that they put on everybody, they allowed some of the nations to levy certain religious taxes on their own people, Israel being one of them. They charged the temple tax. When Jesus was in Capernaum, the tax man cometh and demanded the two drachma temple tax of Jesus. And in Matthew 17, 24, 7, 27 says this. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. 
And when he came to the, into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From who do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Think about that. Where do the kings get their money from? And when he said that, he said, from others. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you would find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So I thought for a minute, I was like, you know what? If I could catch a fish and if I could find money in that fish's mouth, I probably wouldn't have paid, have problem paying taxes at all. And then I searched my sinful heart and it said, yes, you would. Because if no one knew where that money came from, you probably wouldn't claim it as income on your taxes. So we can't say it was easy for Peter to do it and not for us because we probably would. Here's what we do know. Jesus was willing to pay that tax. Just like that. Jesus provided the money in a miraculous way and paid the exact amount due for him and Peter. This was a big deal. As we read the text, we see that Jesus explained to Peter that he was the son of God. And as the son of God, he had no obligation to pay that tax to support God's own house. But watch this. As the son of man, he did so in order not to give offense to the civil authorities and to be an example to his disciples. As the son of man, he paid it. Now get your head around this. And we can see just how big of a deal this is. When you look at where this tax money was going, the tax that Jesus paid went to the coffers of the high priest and the chief priest. They are the ones who just in a little while later will put him to death. And he knew that. Think about this. The money went into the treasury of the temple, which had become so corrupt that Jesus already cleansed it once of its money changers and sacrifice sellers because it become a den of thieves. But he would do it again just before he was arrested and crucified. But here's the kicker. Think about this. Jesus paid a tax without hesitation, knowing full well that it would go into the temple treasury. And out of that temple treasury would come the 30 pieces of silver that would be given to Judas to betray him. And he paid that tax. He did so in order not to give offense to the civil authorities and to be an example to his disciples. Jesus sets the bar high when it comes to paying taxes, does he not? That's the temple tax. It wasn't long before Jesus was confronted with paying the taxes to the Roman government. Now, we know that the, how the Jewish people felt about paying taxes to Rome. When Jesus around, was around, we know that taxes were heavy. Everyone hated paying taxes because the tax collectors were extortionist thieves. They were abusers of the people. The, the, the Jews were oppressed. They were an underprivileged minority with no voice in the Roman government. They paid a heavy tax to, to the Roman tax, tax master, and yet they had absolutely no say in what they did with the money, no say in how they governed, but they paid, and they didn't like it. But listen to Matthew twenty two seventeen. 17. They said, tell us, 
talking to Jesus. What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. <clears throat> Was Jesus concerned about the government and what they did with the money? No. Who was he concerned about? He was concerned about the ones who were made in the image of God. That was his concern. As unfair, as unjust as it was, Jesus paid that tax to Caesar. Jesus submitted to authority and he paid his temple tax and he paid his federal tax. As messed up as the systems had become, he submitted and paid his tax. He did so in order not to give offense to the civil authorities and to be, be an example to his disciples and to us. You know, we always look to Jesus, right? We always look at Jesus to see how to live out our Christianity, how to live out our walk. As we desire, as we desire to become more Christ-like, it really does transform our minds, right? It really does transform the way we act, the way we live, the way we love. It really does. And we look at Jesus and we see that he did not come to seek social change. He did not come to alter the tax code. He did not come to address ec economic issues. They were not priority, nor should they be for us, because we, like Christ, look at this world through different lenses. Was Christ aware of all these situations? Absolutely. And we should be, too. We are to care about it all, and our hearts should break when we see a society turning away from God. And as we look at Jesus, we may think, well, he didn't even care about this stuff. He only cared about heaven. He could have really made a difference in this world if he really cared about that stuff. If he really wanted to, he could make a difference. We know he did make a difference, right? He did make a difference. Jesus had perfect knowledge of absolute everything. There was no abuse. There was no unfair treatment that he was not fully aware of. Jesus knew that there was a need for social reform. He knew that there was a great need for tax reform. He knew there was a great need for the care of the poor and the sick. He knew that the widows were mistreated. He knew that the orphans were mistreated. And yet Jesus never came to bring about Jesus, a social revolution. He, his appeal was always to the heart always to the heart of man. It was always to the soul of mankind, not their political freedoms. Jesus preached the gospel to all. Jesus knew that the way in which you change society is through the hearts of the people. Laws are good. They keep order. But a changed heart is what changes the home, is what changes the neighborhood, is what changes the city, the state and the nation.
a changed heart. Jesus did not come to create a new nation. He came to create the church. We are created for good works. We do not grow weary of doing good. We trust in the Lord. We never give up. We are not ashamed. When people see our good works, God is glorified. When we are mistreated, we respond with good works and we keep pouring out our good works. We do not grow weary. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We look for opportunities to do good works, especially in the church body. And when we eat salad, we are reminded to do good works. So with a clear conscience, we, the church body, can change the direction of a nation by praying, loving, and doing good works. I want to close by looking back at chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. God tells us how to change this world. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let us. Let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us. Do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, reap, if we do not give up. Amen? Amen. Pastor Jerry?